I'm thankful for each and every one of you here today. Good to see you. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've talked about things that the church can be that makes it a welcome relief from the world around us. That kind of contrasts some qualities in the world. Some things like the self-focus we find in the world and the discouragement we find in the world. We can be a place of relief by being a loving family and of a place where we encourage one another. Well, today, I'm going to talk about something that actually is valued in our society today and that we can maybe share with our society. Romans 15, chapter 5 through 7, uh, verses 5 through 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So today we focus on accepting one another or welcoming one another. Uh, and this is something that our society around us would applaud. The fact that we accept or welcome one another. The, the Greek word used in that scripture for accept is normally uh, translated as welcome. So you can kind of use accept or welcome there. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Um, kind of like it's used in Acts chapter 28. And in Philemon as well, Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 2 says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. That kind of gives you an idea of accept one another as Christ accepted you. Philemon, verse 17 says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus, as you would welcome me. That again gives you an idea of the concept of welcoming or accepting what we find in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another. And our society, like I said, it really values accepting one another. We are to accept one another no, what are, no matter what our differences are, whether that be racial differences, uh, religious differences, uh, sexual orientation differences. Think about how significant uh, that ruling was by our Supreme Court a couple years ago that made it legal for same-sex uh, couples to get married. That really shows our society's worth on accepting one another. Okay? Um, you might have seen this commercial recently. I'm going to show it here. But this commercial, um, again, exemplifies the worth that our society places on accepting one another. Check out the commercial.
right. So, you know, two different people with great differences, a great chasm of differences, welcoming one another inside their home, building a relationship. That is what our society values. Now, I'll be honest, at first I didn't really like that commercial. I'm like, you know, it's like just throwing away our differences in beliefs. Like our beliefs don't really matter. We should just love each other instead. But you know, there's something to say about what that commercial says about welcoming one another despite great differences. So today, we're going to look at biblical welcoming. Paul said, accept one another as Christ accepted you. Now naturally, if we're going to welcome each other like Christ welcomed you, we got to look to see how Christ did that. And I think there's two scriptures that we can look at that will really enlighten us. John chapter 4 and John chapter 8, if you're following along in your own Bible. Now, let me just take a quick survey before we go to those scriptures. Show of hand, how many of you would consider yourselves a sinner? Okay. And how many of you would describe yourself a savior? Okay. I think, think that's a pretty good survey. That turned out pretty well. Um, you did well. You passed. Okay. So, with that in mind, let's take a look at John chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. That's a big bummer. You have to go through Samaria. So, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour the middle of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as his as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So here is what we know about this woman. And we've covered this before. Uh, many of you know this, but this is what we know about this woman. One, she's a female. Okay, that's pretty basic, but she's a female. But the fact that she's a female and Jesus is a male Jewish rabbi makes it scandalous that he's even talking with her, let alone offering her this living water. The second thing we know about this person she was a Samaritan woman, making it 
scandalous for Jesus to even be speaking with this person, let alone offering her living water. The third thing we, we know is likely that this woman is in a sinful lifestyle. Again, making it scandalous that Jesus is even speaking with her, let alone offering her this living water. Yet, despite this great chasm of differences between these two people at this well, Jesus invites her in to his circle, welcomes her at his table, values her, honors her, protects her, has compassion on her. When no one else would, Jesus was the only one. Jesus even threatens salvation on this woman. Threatens her with salvation. But this woman had something missing in her life that nobody was offering her except Jesus. And that was a warm welcome. An invitation to be a part of his table. Now let's jump ahead four chapters to John chapter 8. The account of the woman, another woman caught in adultery. This is John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, you might wonder what he was writing on the ground, you know, that seems kind of odd for somebody to be kneeling down, writing in the ground. That's kind of random. Um, I'd like to think that, and this is this is not from the book of John. This is from the book of John Turner. So don't quote, you know, don't say this is scripture. But, I, you know, I imagine him either writing names of the women that these men had committed adultery with. Or maybe writing the names of the sins that these men had committed recently. Again, that's not in Scripture. That's just, that's just from this mind of here. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, he said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Here we find Jesus risking his life, really. At least his reputation on sticking up for this woman. This sinful woman. Think about how this woman must have been feeling with these men hovering around her with these stones in their hands. These were meant to be her last breaths. 
Now imagine what she felt when she heard the sound of those stones as they hit the ground, as the men were dropping. She was saved. Biblical welcoming is protecting the child of God, sinful though she is. Biblical welcoming is protecting the child of God, sinful though she is. It took a lot of nerve for Jesus to do what he did. He didn't go along with the majority. The easy thing to do for Jesus would have probably been just to turn his head and ignore what was happening. Or even join in on the stoning. But he went against the grain of what the majority does courageously. And he protected this sinful woman. He assigned value to her. Honoring her. Inviting her in to his table. This woman was missing something in her life that nobody else was offering her. But Jesus. And it was a warm welcome to his table. Well, so far, what we've learned here from Jesus is unconditional welcoming. Unconditional welcoming. And scandalously inclusive grace. It's incredible that our society values these things. Unconditional welcoming. Because it's Christ-like behavior. We're not used to that from our society, from the world. No matter the gender... The race, the lifestyle, the sin, you are valued, you are honored, you are protected. You need a warm welcome. A good biblical word for this is hospitality. Okay, We know hospitality a little bit differently today. When we think of hospitality, we think of inviting our friends over for dinner, maybe inviting somebody new from church to dinner. Um, biblical hospitality suggests loving Foreigners and strangers. Those who are different than you. That's biblical hospitality that we find in the New Testament. The hospitality of the first Christians, of the first three centuries after Jesus was on earth, was phenomenal. The Roman Empire was teetering on the edge of disaster in the first three centuries because of plague. I mean, everybody was dying. Everybody was getting sick. Millions at that time in Europe were dying. And that's something to say back then. Millions. At one time, 5,000 people a day were dying. And the Christian, by the thousands, showed compassion and reached out and loved and cared for not only their own, but also for the pagan for the foreigner, for the stranger. They reached outside of themselves into the world and love even their enemies. You know what? It really made an impact. And Christianity flourished not only through good preaching, spreading of the word, but through the hands and feet of those Christians who risked their own necks and got sick and died themselves. Having compassion on the citizens of the Roman Empire. In fact, historian Randy Stark puts it this way. 
says, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Unconditional welcoming. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, we're here to help. We can help you. You are valued. You matter. It was part of Jesus' M.O., and it's why the church flourished in the first few centuries. Now, some of you astute biblical scholars out there are saying, now wait a second. You're not telling the whole story. You're leaving out some detail. You might be thinking that. I don't know. But I am. I am leaving out a few details of John chapter 4 and John chapter 8. So let's go back to John chapter 4, the account of the Samaritan uh, woman at the well. We left off here, verse 13. Thus Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. You have What you have just said is quite true. So while Jesus brings incredible value and honor to this woman and loves her and welcomes her and protects her, notice that Jesus is not afraid to bring up the elephant in the room here, right? This woman's sinful lifestyle which is contrary to God's word and Jesus' teaching. So Jesus scandalously welcomes this woman, but he does not accept the woman where she's at, but pushes her to a better way of life. Now jumping forward four chapters to John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. We left off at verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Once again, we find a life-changing welcoming on the part of Jesus. But along with it, a push at a better way of doing things. In line with Jesus' teaching and God's word. 
So you see that Jesus came with unbelievably scandalous, inclusive grace that no one else offered. But he also brought with him what would be considered today a very intolerant demand of repentance. So what that means is the grace that Jesus gives us should be transformative. It shouldn't leave you where you are, but it should be life-changing. Max Lucado has a, a well-known quote you might have heard before. He said one time, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. So while Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he offers salvation to all, Jesus also expects a lifetime of sanctification. Sanctification, that's just a fancy word of uh, a life growing in holiness as you mature as you grow, your life becomes more holy, which glorifies God. And that's the goal here, is to welcome people, give, you know, scandalously inclusive grace that welcomes people, that transforms their lives, opens their ears up to hear the truth, transforms lives, and glorifies God. In John chapter 1, before he... He told the story of both of these two women. He said, Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And you can see both grace and truth working together in these two stories. So we're all sinners, just like the two women. That's what the survey said at the beginning, right? We identify with the sinner in the story. While we identify with the sinner... We also want to try to be like Jesus. So we are sinners, but we want to be welcoming like Jesus was. And if your life does not change because of God's grace, if you just go on living just how you've always lived after you've experienced God's grace, it means that that grace wasn't worth anything to you. You've just sort of trampled it underground. Said, all right, God's grace, you know, that was nice, but I'm just going to keep on doing it. You didn't value that grace. You didn't experience it like you should. It's not worth anything to you if your life is not changing to be more like Jesus. So I want you to think about your sin today. Something you're struggling with. Are you valuing God's grace? How He welcomed you? If you do value God's grace, you'll be working at making a change. Leaving that sin behind. So while our society excels at the grace part, welcoming part, and struggles with the truth parts, I'm afraid that the church many times excels at the truth part. But we struggle at the grace part, welcoming anybody. To be a follower of Jesus means you got to do both. you got to have grace and truth. You can't have one without the other. If you have grace without truth, there's consequences. But if you have truth 
without grace, there's also consequences. Okay, the grace that Jesus offered opened up the ears of the sinner to be receptive to truth. You see, people have to know for sure that we authentically love them and care for them before they will listen to anything that would change their lifestyle. So they got to know that we authentically and compassionately are on their side and care for them. So what can we do now? Where do we go from here? Let me quickly give you three things that we can do from this point forward that will help us to welcome others like Jesus welcomed others. First is to confess of any sins that hinder you from doing just that, from welcoming others like Jesus did. And you know what, church? i got to go first. In my preparation for this lesson, it was a big challenge because it revealed some things about myself in my heart. And I must confess that in the dark places in my heart, I fear those who are different than me. And I'm talking about race. I'm talking about religion. I'm talking about sexuality. Okay? My thoughts about people that are different than me are not always holy. They're not always gracious, and I need to repent myself. I have not valued, honored, or protected those whose lives, who in my mind, are less holy than my own. So if you have not repented of not being a warm welcomer, you need to repent. Second, meditate on how Jesus welcomed you. Even in your darkest need, even when you didn't deserve it whatsoever, when you were unworthy, God came to you and welcomed you and valued you and protected you and honored you when nobody else would. If you truly meditate on that, what else can you do but respond in kind and welcome others? just like Jesus welcomed you. Finally, learn from those Christians in the first few centuries that risked their neck to welcome even their enemies, those who didn't believe in God, those whose lifestyles were completely different. They went out and cared for their people and loved them, risking their own lives. And think about the spark that was that helped the church to grow. The same thing would happen today. So what do we do with those sort of bent and broken stalks of wheat out there? Maybe they've fallen to the ground and they've been left behind. Maybe they've been left behind by the church. Well, we learn from Jesus, just like those Christians learned from Jesus in the first few centuries. Jesus valued them. Jesus protected them. He honored them. And we got to do the same. And I'm talking about people, all different kinds of people out there. Maybe they have sinful lifestyle. 
Maybe they're just really different than us. But nobody else is out there caring for them, helping them. Jesus protected them, and we should do the same. But Jesus wanted a better life for them as well. So once we authentically show that we care and love for them, we urge them and encourage them on to a better way of life. That glorifies God. And let's face it, we're all a little bent, broken, stocks of wheat, you know, fallen to the ground. We all need God's grace. And hopefully, may we all have ears receptive to God's truth because of the grace that Jesus offered. You're here this morning and you need to repent of not being a warm welcomer. The front row is yours this morning. If you need to become a Christian, maybe you want to be a part of this loving, encouraging, welcoming family, the front row is yours. Whatever your need, you can come sit on the front row as we stand this song and sing this song.